lot of these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I have a training bra, but I don't wear it because it itches. Zach, what better <laughs> what better way to start off the the proper Monstober <sighs> series for 2023 <sighs> and also the uh, the proper month of Monstober than with some good old softcore porn? <laughs> that's what that's what you have to call this. Like this is what media was before like everybody had access to Pornhub on their cell phones, right? <laughs> like that's that's where you went for weird sort of softcore nonsense. Yeah, yeah, I, and this uh this movie is is certainly that uh not only in in context of, you know, our our main group of characters following around uh what is it? Wild Wild Girls? It's the whatever the parody of Girls Gone Wild is that um Jerry O'Connell's running. There's uh, the the director of this uh Alexandre Aja, aha! I I didn't get the chance to listen to some other context stuff that I want to bring up later, um, so I'm not sure to pronounce his name. But I'm just watching this movie, and in the spring break scenes, I'm just like, he just had a lot of people dance, and he made sure that camera got just full of ass. I guess <laughs> it's it's what the Fast and Furious franchise was in the early 2000s. Oh yeah, it right. was just women with their butts exposed, gyrating. To the point where you have to wonder, why wasn't he invited to direct one of those sequels at one point? Because clearly he's got the knack down. <laughs> yes. The uh, the uh, the male gaze. He's really good at it. Um, yes. Fair enough. That is the uh, official term for yes, it. Yes, yes. So what what better way to start off Monstober than with a discussion like this and what we've been talking about? But also what better way to start off our Piranha 3D discussion uh, with me about to throw out a complete 180. Uh, we were just talking some softcore porn, which this movie is. We, I think Zach and I cannot deny that, and we'll, we'll discuss in more detail. But Zach, I found out something absolutely fascinating in my uh, background research for this episode, this discussion. And this is why I'm so glad uh, we are ending up talking about this movie, a movie that we've been familiar with for quite some time. Uh, I never would have found this out any other way. Uh, there's an article from 2011, so what's that, uh, about a year after this movie comes out, in something, a publication called Copeia, C-O-P-E-I-A, Copia, Copeia. This is an actual professional academic ichthyology and herpetology journal, and this article reviews this movie as if it were a documentary. Really? Yes. So now here's the thing. I could not access the full article. The the very few academic connections I still have, I couldn't get access to this site. Probably makes sense because I've never studied ichthyology or herpetology. I still got my weird math and, and cybersecurity journals, though. But what I did find, and at least this is something, because I would love to read this whole article. I think this should frame our discussion uh, as well. The little bit you can read, which is like the the preview, and it's basically just a chunk of the abstract. This article states, quote, Continuing the scholarly investigations of its much-cited and much-viewed predecessors, Piranha, 1978 Joe Dante, director, and Piranha Part 2, The Spawning, 1981 James Cameron, director, <laughs> Piranha 3D is an excellent documentary on an important and historic discovery in ichthyology. <laughs> this is bonkers, and I love it. Yep. <laughs> Because 
I, I think, you know, uh, when I first read this, and now that I'm telling it to you, Zach, and our, and our cinema audience is hearing it as well, this is the, like, nobody had this on their bingo cards, right? Like, this movie getting an academic article published about it. <laughs> well, that's the thing that I, even digging into this for research for this discussion, there's not a lot of, like, there's barely any YouTube retrospectives on it. Podcasting-wise, there's maybe a dozen different podcasts that have covered it over – realistically over the last couple years. I think like COVID to now, nothing prior to that. And I'm just like this film really just disappeared for about 10 years after its release. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of just poofed out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned the podcast stuff because I found some information uh, that was – referenced a podcast called The Movie Crypt from 2018, and it's not just about this movie, it's about uh, the director as a whole. But I want to talk about some of that when we get into the movie. But you're right, it, it was kind of weird to see. It's like, oh, it's this movie comes out, this scholarly article gets published the year after, and then we, we just, we, it just pops back up. And, and it pops back up in the weirdest way, not only like you were saying with the podcast stuff, but before you pitched this for us to discuss, which might have been a, about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago now, I, I was like, oh shit, I watched that last year. Like on a whim, late at night, it was on Netflix. I watched it in November of 2022. So somehow this crept back into like the our heads for some weird reason, I guess. <laughs> it's – I will say that this was going to be part of the uh, summer 2020 discussion of of movies going back 10 years prior of the famous famous Zack and Rob summer mm-hmm. of 2010 where there was Inception there was the Liam Neeson A-team movie think about that <laughs> Rob that's a thing that exists um that was all part of that summer and we were going to do that and then as Rob infamously put it Zack had a rough 2020 <laughs> and that just got scrapped because we again we still never ever talked about most of those 2010 movies and so again going through the Monstober list this year i'm just like piranha 3d i'm like i'm like i haven't watched this probably since the sequel piranha 3 double d came out in 2012 and i'm like okay like definitely i remember this being a hallmark of that summer it was the the end of that summer because i think rob and i have never discussed this movie in the depth that we're going to discuss it in this recording because we saw that movie i'm not sure if you remember the context surrounding it was I think like two days later, all of us, because we saw this with Sal and Jarrett. Yes, I remember so little about us watching this movie, but I I do remember that it happened. (laughs) It did. It's a thing that happened, like most other contexts. And like, I remember, I think you, like Sal and I arrived together and you and Jarrett arrived like, oh God, I think like as the movie was starting, it was that level, because we saw it at night. Somewhere in one of my ticket stub diaries, I could probably get the exact time this sure. all occurred, but, but I'm not so inclined to do so. And I, I and then like after the movie's over, at this point, it's probably like 10 o'clock at night. And it's just like, okay, like uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. And then next time I saw Rob was probably what? The oh god, what was it? The Hangover Part Two in like May of 2011. <laughs> yeah, like <probably. laughs> I remember at some point in summer of 2011, I turned around to you, I'm like, so what did you ever think of Piranha 3D? And you're like, it was fun. And it's like, okay, good. We never talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of it. That was the extent of the discussion about this movie. Um, so it, it's nice to finally give it its like light in the limelight, considering that it was slated for summer of 2020 and it got scrapped. And that's the context because I remember watching this 
in that summer of 2010, overall year of 2010. We have the Ted Bundy movie. We have Eraserhead. We have Inception. We have all of these movies. And this was kind of the end of all that time period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was the last movie of high school. And it weirdly just kind of got sucked up in the uh, the tsunami of the future of just moving on past high school. But I remember watching it in that summer and vividly even explaining it to Rachel as we were re- – because she had never, obviously never seen this. And being like, Jarrett and I were losing our minds during this. And Sal had a puss on his face the entire time because I, I – I don't know what his issue was, but he had a puss on his face (laughs) and you would occasionally like chuckle or guffaw, but there was one specific moment in the movie and we'll get into it where three of the four of us, not including Rob turned around and said, Oh, if Rob were a character in this movie, this is how he would be behaving right now. (laughs) And I think Rob knows what character or not even a character. The person's like basically a glorified extra, but there's a very specific moment that happens during the third act where it's just, (laughs) it's glorious, gratuitous violence in disregard for the well-being of others. And we're like, Rob would be this character. Um, I know exactly what scene you're describing. and, And I have to say, even before uh, you reminding me of all this context, when I watched this about a year ago now, back in November of 2022, that scene came back, like, rushing back to me. <laughs> like, how, how <laughs> can glad. you forget that scene, you know? <laughs> it's, but I will say, like, rewatch because, again, I've not rewatched this in over 10 years. Like, I, I remember the highlights of this movie. Of course, DJ Chocolate Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely forgot about Richard Dreyfus. I will oh, say man. that yeah. the, di- the disc art for the physical Blu-ray is Richard Dreyfus. Oh, okay. It's, it, it, it's a confused Richard Dreyfus. I'm like, 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 especially now with the writers and Screen Actors Guild strikes, I'm like, what sort of residuals are paid for an actor's likeness on the DVD art? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, that must be something. Like, it's using someone's likeness. But I'm shocked at how much of this movie I forgot. Like, I remember, of course, the, uh, the, the Swan Lake... Uh, Porn actresses swimming in the water. Yep. If fish looked like that, I'd fuck fish. I remember that. The infamous, infamous, I can't wait for Rob to explain the joke about uh, Jerry O'Connell and Jason <laughs> yes. Bateman. Yes. Like, I, I will not deprive you of you explaining that, Rob. Yeah, like, I was shocked at how much of this movie. I forgot Ving Rhames was in it. I forgot Elizabeth Shue was in it. Like, this is a stacked cast. Like, if these actors were in this movie today, people would be talking about it. Yet somehow in 2010, it was just completely disregarded as a like pre Labor Day end of the summer like I don't even want to call it schlock but just as like oh a token horror movie yeah oh yeah absolutely no and and I'm I'm glad to rewatch it you know in in this lens I I think you know this uh, this viewing and then last year's viewing because there was so much that I just would not have known uh, about it, you know, back when we saw it. I- I'm sure when we saw it in high school, you know, I was coming at it very much of, oh, this is going to be schlock, this is going to be softcore porn, and-, and it'll be fun. And I think this movie is fun, but, you know, for for every great fun thing, there's things I think now that I'm just like, I just can't abide by that. Like Adam Scott doing parkour onto a jet ski. I'm like, get the fuck <laughs> out of here, movie, you know? I'm like, this Adam is too Scott's far. In the- Adam Scott's in this. Like, yeah, imagine, yeah. Expl- imagine again, describing this cast now. I forgot, I guess, again, I don't worship The Office, but like, 
Adam Scott mm-hmm. is in like a schlocky piranha <laughs> remake horror movie. That would be mind blowing by today's standards. That's Eli Roth, Eli, Christopher Lloyd showing up for that, five minutes, that, <laughs> basically playing low, like lowercase Doc Brown. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's uh, it is pretty crazy. But like I, I like I said, that's why I'm so excited to rewatch. And also like the whole Richard Dreyfus thing. That that was. Probably not completely lost on me when we saw it, you know, 13 years ago, but it, it certainly means much more to me now when I see the opening of that, you know, and, and him being credited as, what, the same first name as his character from yeah. Jaws. Yeah, And And it's in, it's insane. It's it's good. It is. It's a great cast. Uh, nobody really gets a lot to do, except for the, the porn stars, maybe. <laughs> whoa, whoa. And then, of course, Jerry O'Connell, who possibly yes. gives the performance of a lifetime. That's, that's like my big takeaway from both viewings in the last year of this of, i've watched this two times in one year which is ridiculous to C- say congratulations rob no one's ever said that before nor <laughs> right. has it happened until this moment but jerry o'connell is so incredibly sleazy and over the top and i'm like he, he knows exactly what this movie is and knows exactly what he should be doing even from the first moment he shows up and he's screaming into his cell phone, fuck the waiver, you sign the waiver. I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I'm like, yes, come on. This is what I want from this movie. <laughs> Make sure those titties are nice and perky. Mm. <laughs> Who's this? This is Jake. He's a local. A sand rat, huh? You know your way around the lake? Uh, yeah. You want a job? I pay cash money. Um, don't bullshit Jake. My guy didn't show, and I need somebody ASAP, somebody I can rely on, somebody with ambition, someone who's willing to take chances if you know what I mean. Mister, you talk funny. Yeah, well, you're short. Hold on. This is Derek. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you disappoint me, motherfucker. I, I told you I want the biggest goddamn boat this podunk town has to offer. Hold on. Who is that? Um, okay. Derek? Wait there. I, He's I the director. Oh, so are you like a uh, an actress or what? What does whole I'm a wild, a wild boat. girl. I'm a big boat with a big motor. What's a wild, wild girl, Jake? Of course we know boats. No, fuck the waiver. You sign the waiver. So, Jake, baby, we gonna do this? <laughs> we'll do the job. Location scout, guide us around, show us all the good spots, the G spots. I need a local. I need you. Well, that's like even like because there isn't a lot of like again his. I don't want to say like documentation of stuff about this movie. The biggest factoids I could find, i.e. the IMDb trivia page. But I did listen to a podcast with the writer back in 2020. And of course he opens his mouth and compares it to what was also happening in the summer of 2020, comparing it. And I'm like – Jesus Christ. Like, can we please – somehow they, they made Piranha 3D political and I'm just like <laughs> – like, no, like, can nothing just simply be stupid in its own like contained way? But I'm, I'm just first... imagining from what you're saying and what we, we were talking about pre-recording with the way older movies get viewed in today's uh, – through today's lens. There's that scene with the little kids where they're, they're out on the boat and the girl's like – Oh, I, I should have brought my trombone. And the and the brother says something like, you should be a girl and sunbathe instead of playing trombone. And she's like, well, when I'm a rock star, and the scene kind of trails off, I mm. imagine they're like, you know, this was us being progressive, a woman with a trombone and a rock star. And it's like, shut <laughs> up, shut up. <laughs> with all the gratuitous, like you said, male gaze throughout the entire film. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Eli Roth screaming, show me your Danny DeVitos as he sprays wet t-shirts <laughs> uh, like i said this is 
okay, I, I, I want to get back to the, the, uh, the historical – I want to say historical. That's too strong of a word. <laughs> Just uh, – the understanding of what this movie's like production was but like i want to say rob is that in the last couple of days in preparation for monstober getting like, we do know that september is firm monstober month i know at one point in one of our discussions whether it was back during ted bundy or the texas chainsaw massacre 2 i do bring up the idea to rob that monstober will be a three month long yes, odyssey yes and rob's just like this should not happen and <laughs> and then COVID happened it didn't happen so it did come. It did not come to fruition. But rewatching Piranha 3D back to back with Jason Goes to Hell, I found myself at numerous points in both of these movies. I had Jason Goes to Hell. Obviously, we watched in I think 2018. Sure. I found myself standing up and cheering in my living room because okay. of just how bonkers the horror is in these movies. And I can't help but feel that like. Piranha 3D, if it weren't for the fact that it was swallowed by the 2010 just life experiences we were having, it would probably be another one of those movies that we'd probably look back upon and be like, oh, this is a – I don't think we've used this often, but a pillar of the cinemodities canon. Sure. This this is, has the schlockiness to it that I definitely think we've come to – very very much discuss our, our love for on this podcast <laughs> that's what i mean because i also again i know rob has gotten a couple of uh snapchats from rachel and i showed her the ted bundy movie and that's the thing too is that like all of this was in that same time period and it all weirdly thematically lined up like whereas yes ted bundy's based on real life events and piranha is again steeped in quasi-realism the idea of there being a man-eating fish sure and again of course this, this is dialed up to the umpteenth degree not trying to say one is compared to the other but the idea of it's just these weird forces of nature being let loose on society at large yeah yeah to a very dramatic effect and and that's where again i and then juxtapose that with jason Voorhees. Right. And, <laughs> and they all have this weird through line to them but no getting back to the production of this movie one thing i never knew about this that like this is a film that was like filmed in early 2009, was supposed to be released during the summer of 2009, and yet somehow got just put on the shelf for about a year until August of 2010, then released. And I wonder what would have happened to this movie if it would have been released in the summer of 2009. Because, mm-hmm. again, the title of it being Piranha 3D, we cannot take that away from it. It's one of my favorite titles of all time, up there with Drive Angry 3D, Shot in 3D, which <laughs> is supposedly the whole title of the Nicolas Cage 2011 film. Um, I just wonder if this film would have had more of a life if it didn't come in the wake, pardon the boat pun, of Avatar. Sure, that this this uh, kind of got, you know... Th- cause- on the on the notion of 3D, and I think this is what you're getting at. You know, this was the this is the gimmicky 3D. You know that the things are popping out at the screen for you, not the immersive 3D that like Avatar or like we were also mentioning Coraline before we started recording. Like that that was going for. Even not being able to watch this in 3D and just watching it off like the copy on my hard drive, uh, you can see the moments where they're like, oh, that was made for 3D. Like the weed whacker from Ving Rhames going in the water near yep. the end of the movie, and it's just like. Oh man! So if this probably if this came out in, because what wasn't there like the first Captain America in 3D or something too? Wasn't one of the Marvels had a release oh, in 3D? 
Well, they all. Oh God, Rob! Like not not to go down the the Marvel well, but yeah, like Thor was released in 3D in oh, May okay, of 2011. Okay. Captain America 3D, Avengers 3D. Like like I think Iron Man 3 was in 3D. I don't think I think the 3D thing is still happening. I think if you want to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 that came out this May in 3D, I think it was there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think you played maybe one or two showings a day, but I think it was there. If you wanted to delve into it. Okay, okay. But even with, like, Captain America, I remember because if it's always stuck with me that there's a, there's a shot in that movie where he throws his shield and for no reason other than the gimmick of 3D, it cuts to the shield bouncing off of a tank and coming back at the camera. Yes. And it's the gimmicky 3D. And if this came out maybe a little earlier, it would have been more accepted as gimmicky, fun 3D. Where I think by I, I would imagine by 2010, after something like Avatar, people were getting tired of the gimmicky 3D and wanted something better, or just tired of 3D in general. Also, because eventually it does taper off at some point. Tapered off, I know pretty quickly for me because I hated hated having to wear the glasses over my glasses. <laughs> of course, but that's the thing is that. If you remember your 3D history, you have – because even before Avatar, everybody forgets that like there were movies that were being post-converted into 3D before Avatar's release. Like there was My Bloody Valentine 3D, the remake. Okay. And that was like, – and even this, like this was a post-converted movie. Yeah. yeah. And it, it and that's where it's always made me mad that like – and this was even kind of like in more in the wake, probably like 2011-ish, give or take, where people would crap on post-converted 3D. I remember explaining to them, post-converted 3D is not bad. It's like everything else. It's like – it's any sort of art. If you put the time and energy into post-converted 3D, it can be good. It's just as long as you're giving your 3D animators the correct information, they can make it look just as good as film 3D. And, and that's what made me mad is that like there was never – again, there shouldn't it, – it's art. It, it's the intent more than the execution. As I see it, yeah. it's that the execution can be bad, but at least if you had the right idea going into it, you at least get some level of saving grace to the final product. And then that's – as I look at it, the juxtaposition between Captain America post-converted 3D versus Piranha 3D post-converted. I think – and even though, yes, one is infinitely more schlocky than the other, one feels less contrived. And then just one little factoid that I forgot about Captain America 3D – I know a shot you're talking about, Rob. It's probably in one of the trailers, if anyone's so inclined to dig it up. Yeah. Is that there there is a shot where he it's it's a montage in that movie of him just like storming different Hydra slash yes, Nazi that, bases. That sounds right, yeah. And and Chris Evans like throws the shield like at the camera. It's not I agree. I know, I know there's two different shots. There's the one where it bounces off the wall and then gets like wedged in the door to make sure it doesn't shut. Then there's the one where he literally just throws it at the camera. Is that like there's like explosions behind him? Perfect. I'm yeah. pretty sure on the DVD or the Blu-ray behind the scenes featurette, apparently that shot was like a nightmare for them to film because like they had to have him holding the shield and then like fling it and they had to have it like wired at a very specific way. And I guess even though you might have something wired, the tension had to be so specific so it hit the le- like it came at the 3D cameras the right way. Like that shot apparently was like a nightmare for okay. them to film like okay. in 2010. So like again, it's one of those things where like of course Captain America 3D is contrived. It's there as a, as a cynical cash grab. Mm-hmm. But there is art that goes into this even though it is something that's being mandated by the Walt Disney Company just to boost profits. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally with again, you. Yeah. 
giving credit where credit is due to the poor people who have to figure out how to make this all logistically possible. Yes. Oh, man. Speaking of logistics, I'm sure we'll talk about the spring break of this movie. That's uh, like so many people. <laughs> so uh, on the topic of, you know, the 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 creation of this movie, uh, maybe not so much the the conversion from 2D to 3D, but um, this was the thing that I found. I don't know if you, if you saw this as well, but this was um, – they had a citation for an interview with uh, Alexandre Aja from the Movie Crypt podcast in 2018. And this was something – I think it's really long because you, you can access it, and I, I, you can even download it. And so I was like, planning on listening to it, but it's not just about this movie. It's about his whole career, and so I was tried to skim through, and I couldn't find stuff. Maybe I'll try and listen to it while I do editing, but according to the director – in that interview, by June of 2010, so two months before this movie came out, he states that not a single piranha was finished in CGI. And he was so worried that they were going to push the movie back again, he reached out to the DGA to Alan Smithy this movie. Really? In response, Bob Weinstein was like, no, we don't want to Alan Smithy this movie because that's not going to be good for box, box office or whatever. Once again, I want I'm going to listen to this and get some more because I was just reading the after the fact. I never knew that. And so apparently Bob Weinstein was like, no, we're not going to do that. Stay on. He fired the entire VFX team they had working on this movie and hired every other VFX artist available to finish it on time for the August release. So so I I read that. And that's why I even searched down. I I tracked down the podcast and I want to listen to it because not a single CGI fish, of which there are probably 10 billion in this movie, was finished two months before it came out. That's crazy to me. <laughs> I That's one where I just – the wine – again, we live in a different – a post-Weinstein's world. But I could see them doing that though because like Alexandra Aha is the one who did the Hills Have Eyes remake. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember when that came out in 2006, not that it was a big deal – but it was like the idea of like going back to the horror well of like these like forget about your 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 icons like your Freddies your Jasons, but like taking that the idea of a bunch of backwoods deformed people and making that oh god at least somewhat popular the mass audiences mm-hmm. like I, I didn't even know he directed that movie until I watched the, beso- the behind the scenes documentary back in 2011 when the Blu-ray came out and I I've I not watched the Hills Have Eyes remake probably in. 15 years sure. but he like you watch him being interviewed and he is a competent person i believe he's french and he has a kind of like thick accent okay but you listen to him talk he knows what he's doing like this isn't like the um the like kind of people like when you think of like oh god the guy who did the texas chainsaw massacre remake and the friday the 13th remake and they're just like yeah these characters are this 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 and this you can tell there is some level of artistry being given to the script to the narrative that elevates it in a way that most of these directors for hires don't provide the project sure sure okay I, I, that's that's interesting to hear. Um, I, one of the things I, I was reading is that um, I mean they they were trying to make this movie for a long long time. Like there's there's a history of them you know trying to make another Piranha movie um, in the mid two thousands. And I was reading that that he wanted uh, to the director wanted to um, you know strip down uh, the the comedic elements and, and make it more tense and and suspense suspenseful and stuff like that. Where I'm like, no, go go for the comedy, you know, <laughs> like come on, that's what I want. Which I I do think there is 
somewhat of a good balance of in this movie, and maybe that's a good way to transition into the movie itself, but I think the final set piece is way too self-serious. The whole thing with the boat and the rope, that's where I'm like, no, go back to the spring break. I want to see um, everybody get killed. You know? <laughs> well, that's one thing I didn't know until I listened to another podcast uh, a couple days ago was that the screenwriter for the movie – and he's the one who sat there and started like making this political in 2020. Mm-hmm. His name is Josh Stolberg. Apparently – like obviously, spoiler alert, the movie ends with Adam Scott getting eaten by a giant piranha because like Christopher Lloyd comes up for a stinger. And it's like, these are just the babies. Yeah, yeah. They grow bigger. And like Adam Scott's like big piranha and then he literally just gets like <laughs> – Curb stomped by a giant piranha. And apparently the original script that was written, there was a third act where there was supposedly going to be like an electro hydro dam. Oh. And they in <laughs> like the Elizabeth Shoe character with the son, Kelly, the two kids, were gonna go to this and do something where that would electrify the entire like Lake Victoria. Because that's not what the lake is called in real life. And that was how they were going to kill all the piranha. Okay, okay. And that was the original climax of the movie. Apparently that when they were writing this and when they went to the wine scenes, they only had enough money. And they're like, well, I guess we can end the movie at what was originally written the second act. Okay, which is like the saving the family from the boat type of yes. thing. And, and, and then, yes. then they would go on. Because you're, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because the ending, like the, the like you said, the stinger with Christopher Lloyd – when when they like get on the phone or whatever, you know, for Christopher Lloyd to give that information to Elizabeth Shue, Elizabeth Shue is like, well, this one boat exploded and it killed like fifty piranha, so we're off to a good start. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, that's that's you didn't make a fucking dent in these fish. <laughs> oh, you forgot about Ving Rhames and like the boat prop and just like like mowing down like what seven hundred per yeah, minute. He, he like does, he does some good work. Um, I mean Elizabeth Shue tasers a few. I think uh, Adam Scott gets like three with a shotgun while he's on a jet ski. <laughs> Well, that's – and this is where I'm glad you brought that point by the director being like, oh, he he was leaning more into the tense moments because the movie begins with obviously Richard Dreyfus in, in, in lowercase letters reprising his role as Matt Hooper from <laughs> yeah, Jaws, yeah. which again, like I remember watching that in 2010 being like, oh my god. Like, it, 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 like it's so clever yet so simple. And like, a, like supposedly Richard Dreyfus and doted, uh, donated his entire salary to charity. Yeah, I read that. Like, yeah, and he's like, yeah, it was a good time. Like, whatever. Like, you, you got to live a little. And then like that entire sequence, like even if you aren't inclined to know what Jaws is, and of course, like I do want to bring up like going back to uh, Cinemati's years prior. Robert always joke about, oh Zach, are you going to show your action figures in the ships that hang above your ceiling? The movie. <laughs> With Rachel now, Rachel's the perfect vessel for a late night audience because she has never seen a movie before. Sure. Uh, contrary to our Candyman discussion, she has never watched a single movie, period. <laughs> so, like, I'm showing her Piranha 3D for the first time, and I'm losing my shit being like, oh, it's Matt Hooper getting eaten by Piranha. And she's just like, oh, look at that old man. And I'm like, oh, this, this 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 person doesn't get it. Like this person doesn't get what they're leaning into. But at the same time, though, they're doing a bit 
but the bit's not distracting if you don't know what it's leaning into. And Definitely. I'm like, yeah, that's kind that's kind of brilliant. Like you're doing something that probably wherever Rob, like, didn't you say you watch this on like Netflix or some streaming for a service? Yeah, it was on Netflix back when I, cause when I saw it and I was like, you know, I had Netflix for like a month or whatever. And I was like, Oh, let me throw this on. It's only 80 minutes or whatever. Yep, It's, <laughs> it's, it's tight, man. It's a tight run time. It, it gets in, it gets out. It does what it needs to do. And I'm like, it goes through all these motions just in that first, what, three minutes, if that, and yet it's not distracting. And I'm like, that's kind of brilliant that it's able to sit there, convey so much, so much cultural context, yet it's not distracting the layman that has no idea what it is that it's looking at. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the best way to do a cameo or a reference like that. And and to be fair, I think to make your point, I was more distracted by, before we even see Richard Dreyfus. the establishing shot of the little lake he's in shows the gate, like it's gated up. And it says restricted area Mesolithic era dig site, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, would would like rowdy teenagers be deterred by the fact that they're finding fossils from the Mesolithic era? Like, why put that on a sign? Just put restricted area. <laughs> That's it's those small touches. But going back to your comment again with the, the director being like, okay, I want more of the tension versus the schlock humor, is the whole sequence with Adam Scott. And I'm not sure if you picked up on this, considering our uh, favoritism toward redheaded actresses, is Dizzy from Starship Troopers. I saw, uh, what, Dina Mayer in the credits. Yep. And I was like, oh shit, I gotta keep an eye out for that, you know? <laughs> Did not notice her in the actual movie, had to look up who it was, and it makes perfect sense. She is not the subject of a single frame of this movie until she is underwater in scuba gear in almost complete darkness. <laughs> exactly. And even that, I'm like, you go back to, of course, Starship Troopers, Paul Verhoeven, which is now considered like a definition of a classic by today's standards. And it's that same gratuitous animal violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where I have to wonder, because like at this point, she she she's not pretty much outside of, oh God, Neil Patrick Harris, nobody from that movie is really widely known nowadays. But I wonder if they were casting her and they're like, this is very much in the same vein as Starship Troopers. It's gratuitous animal violence. Sure, sure. That That's a good point. And of course, you know, seeing Dina Mayer's name, thinking of Starship Troopers, uh, but it was such a bummer that <laughs> she's almost indistinguishable in this movie. <laughs> that's, I, again, I didn't even, I in my... 13 years of being aware of this movie, it wasn't until preparation for this recording that I realized it was her. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. oh, my God. I'm like – and I'm like, I'm part of the problem, not the solution apparently. And, <laughs> and But but those sequences – because like you begin with Richard Dreyfus and the movie like it's, it's only campy if you know what it is that you're looking at with mm -hmm. him being Matt Hooper. And then we get our sequences of course with, with Jake and, and the little sister and – and it's kind of like – again, it's that Friday the 13th level. It's that level of just like even the Halloween 2018 movie where you have your teenage characters being teenage persons and it's just like, oh, OK. Like I guess like – OK. Like, it's almost obligatory to have these moments, these yeah. beats in the movie. Yeah. And then you have Jerry O'Connell show up and he is just dialed to a level that I just I've never seen before in a character actor. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like I said, his opening scene is like fuck the waiver, you sign the waiver and he's screaming at like four different people at once. And it's I mean, 
we see him literally do cocaine later on in the movie, but he is never not on cocaine in this movie. <laughs> because I, and this is where Rob, hopefully you'll be able to tell your, your father's story. The, the famous, oh, of course. famous McAndrew joke be, of Jerry, Jerry O'Connell. This would also be around the time that happened. I would imagine. Cause it, I'm certain it, it, it happened within a year or two. I have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, the thing about Jerry O'Connell is that like, if you are a boomer, Jerry O'Connell has been a character actor for the last 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. But even as Rob and I are 17 going on 18 in that summer of 2010, I had only known Jerry O'Connell as the guy in Kangaroo Jack. Exactly. With with, with Anthony Anderson. Like I didn't know what he was beyond that. But I remember explaining to my mother that back in 2010 that Jerry O'Connell was in this. And she's like, man, he must be desperate for a paycheck. (laughs) And and yet like you look at this. And there's nothing in his performance, and then we'll definitely delve into his interviews for promotion when this movie came out, where he almost got everybody sued because he wouldn't shut up. <laughs> yeah. Um, great, great Hollywood story right there. There's nothing about this performance that's phoned in. No, not at all. Not it, one iota. It's it's like I said. Every scene, he's basically having three different conversations, which is ridiculous. Uh, I think maybe the 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 one time he's focused in is when he's filming the um the naked women under the boat type of thing. That's when he's focused on something. But he's always trying to you know he he's on the phone with somebody or he's yelling at somebody. He's he's trying to film uh, or like telling uh, Paul Shear how to film and stuff like that. But no, he he is fantastic. It, it, I think it's got to be his best performance. I have not seen Kangaroo Jack in so long. And like you were saying, I don't think I know him from a lot of other things. He is really good in – there's one Adult Swim infomercial that he's in, and yep. it's the yep. parody of um, Liar Liar. And the premise of Liar Liar is the kid makes the wish. It's like, I wish Jim Carrey couldn't lie. I mean, my dad couldn't lie, you know? The premise is that, that I think the kid – there's like three or four different wishes – and the first one, he wishes for something similar to the liar liar thing. But then the other, one of them, he's like, I wish my dad was a vacuum or something. And it shows like a vacuum in an office chair. And the, and the boss is like, oh, God damn it, Bob. You know, you didn't get the TPS reports. And it's just a vacuum, makes a vacuum cleaner noise or something. <laughs> and he's, he's good in that, I guess. But this, uh, it's, it's it, like I said, over the top, sleazy. He's awesome. Even his, his last line of dialogue is when he's still alive on the boat. And he like grabs the main kid's hand and he's like, wet t-shirt contest, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like perfect, you know? They didn't need that extra little, you know, button from him, but, but it works out so fantastically. But, but yes, I, I, I will never not think of the time my father said something to me that was so strange. And I don't even know if it was a joke from him. It's turned into a joke. I think he might have been serious. And there's no way to know for sure because I could bet you any amount of money my dad would never remember this happening. <laughs> we were – so it had to be back in high school, like I said. I was still living with my parents. I'm at the – like on the couch watching TV. It's one of those like – I think a show was ending. I think that was the, the setup is like a, a TV show was ending and it was around that time where like the news was starting. And for whatever reason – like I don't think – Jerry O'Connell was on screen saying that like it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? I think it was like, oh, coming up in this hour, we have these things. And it showed like a a clip from an interview with Jerry O'Connell. And as soon as Jerry O'Connell comes on screen, my dad says, damn, Jason Bateman looks horrible. (laughs) And I go, dad, that's Jerry (laughs) O'Connell. 
And and that's all I remember. I don't remember what my dad said. We probably didn't think about it any further, but that will that will stick with me forever. <laughs> I should say that like I've paired it all. I like uh, piggybacked off this for a while now. Or anytime I see like an actor that looks somewhat similar to another actor, I'll say, "Wow." X actor looks terrible. Sure, everyone's sure. like, "That's not who Y is," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm like, I, I think for me, it's turned into I always, I always love talking about people in movies as discount other people. <laughs> of course, well, of course, like, but that's one of my favorite ones. Like, you think of like just, and I'm trying again, Rob. It's hard to do nowadays, but like, what would be the equivalent of that? Like one actor that looks similar to another actor, but there's like a pretty good age gap. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Cause yeah, I don't really see it too often anymore. Um, it's hard nowadays too with celebrities. Just like, like there's not such thing as a celebrity anymore. It's either no one's a celebrity or everybody is. Yeah, sure. I know for this movie in particular, I don't think it's a, Oh, this person looks horrible. But my, my discount version of this movie is a uh, Jessica Jor who plays Kelly uh, looks mm-hmm. like discount Zendaya to me. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, perfect. Okay, you made the perfect thing. So if you ever see Jessica Shore like in some form of media and be like, "Wow, Zendaya oh, looks terrible." Yeah, that's like, perfect. It would yes. be. It would be. You framed it beautifully. You teed that up for me wonderfully. That's what the joke is. It's taking an actor that looks like somebody younger and just being like, "Wow, younger actor looks terrible." It's like that's not so and so. Oh, like it's just <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah, and this is the way to do it. Where, of course, Zendaya coming up now with Euphoria and whatever else she was in, versus uh, this being you know ten years, thirteen years ago, ten years ago from uh, Euphoria and stuff. Perfect. That's the way to do it. We need to watch movies with ten year gaps between them to find out more instances of of us yes. so we can say this. <laughs> I guess I, I did look up Jessica Jor and I'm like, what happened to her? And I'm like, I guess she became a really big television actress. Like she oh, was on okay. Shameless for years. Um, she she made a career for herself. I don't think by any means she's a leading lady, but she she carved out a niche for better or worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good for her. Uh, I, I I also like to use this as the the thought experiment of what if this movie came out ten years later and Zendaya was in this role? That'd be wild. <laughs> Well, that's the thing that's – again, I, you look at this movie now and it's like it really does not star any new youthful talent. They're all kind of actors that are either at the end of their prime who, who are beyond that. Sure. Like again, in 2010, imagine us. We're 17 years old and we're looking at this as in like, oh, Jerry O'Connell, Elizabeth Shue, Ving Rhames, mm-hmm. Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd. Richard Dreyfus, like these are all actors that are like favorites of our parents, sure, not sure. of teenagers or even like people in their twenties. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what's finds it so fascinating. Like, like you wonder who they made this movie for, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then even like like you said, the younger like the kids, they they probably they weren't anybody's favorite. Like what the main kid whose name I don't remember, unfortunately, like he, I've seen him around. Uh, I don't, can't really place him, but I'm he also, must've been on law and order at some point. So, right? Yeah, Rob? I'm sure. I'm absolutely. But I'm even thinking of Paul Shear who goes on to be a TV actor. Cause the league starts a few years after this. And then, then he's just like in that zone and children's, I think he's on children's hospital. I know he's on one of those other adult swim shows, but yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that there's, there's no big, like, Who's like the big leading star of this movie? It's Elizabeth Shue, right? She's the she's the lead famous person, I guess. <laughs> That's like weirdly enough, she is your 
oh god main driving protagonist yeah yeah which i'm fine with i mean i really like elizabeth shoe where i i don't know if i told you the story zach but a few years ago it's when the first season of the boys was airing because she's in that and she's like She's like, Homelander's in love with her or some shit like that, whatever. I've seen that, and it's not it's not great. That's my hot take on the boys, everybody. But <laughs> I was talking to somebody, and for whatever reason, I think they were like, they were like, you know that, that lady, that lady from the boys? And I'm like, Elizabeth Shue? And they're like, yeah. And this person I was talking to just went off, and it was like, he was angry at Elizabeth Shue for, I guess, having a good career. And he was like mentioning like famous things she's been in, and it's like, now she's in the boys. And I'm like... I'm like, yeah, but she she played herself in Hamlet too. Do you even know what that movie is? And he's like, oh yeah, god. And, and then, and, but oh then my he's like, god. And then it's like, and then he's like, yeah, but she gets to be, uh, you know, she gets to be um, Marty McFly's girlfriend in Back to the Future. I'm like, only in the second one, and they put her in a, like, in a in a dumpster. Like, that's yeah. not flattering. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really understand why that person I was talking to was so upset about Elizabeth Shue, but I'm not upset about Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> Man, Rob, did you just unlock the Hamlet 2 memory? Yeah, I... She, rock she me, rock me, rock herself. me, sexy Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know there's a scene in that movie where, um, what, Steve Coogan goes up to her and he's like, you're Elizabeth Shue. And she's like, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you gotta get her credit for like leaning into like the washed up nature of her career. Like <laughs> again, I credit where credit is due. I remember, oh god, like again, man, Rob, you just unlocked a couple of memories. <laughs> I remember downloading the trailer for Hamlet two on my Xbox three sixty. Oh wow, okay. And then, and then to bring this back to Piranha, I remember there was a Piranha three D clip you could download to your Xbox, and it was the um, Jake showing up to like Jerry O'Connell's like boat. And you have the two porn actresses like dancing on the boat to like the um, oh god, what what was the band called? Oh god, Far East Movement song. Like it's I, that was another clip sure. that was a very fun. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> just hitting hard, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like okay, so like the movie begins with Richard Dreyfuss. He gets like he drops a beer bottle, creates some level of a fissure. And the piranhas swim up. They create a, it creates a vortex. This fissure. He's devoured by the piranha. And then next thing we know, we're with the kids. It's spring break. The town's been overrun. Jake's being told that he can't go out on spring break, despite that the Ke- uh, Kelly character, I'm guessing, is in college, and he's only in high school. Either I yeah, either that or like he just didn't go to college. It seems I I wasn't really sure about their difference. Like clearly they knew each other, and he says something like, "Oh, you're back for spring break or whatever," and it just seems like he didn't get out of the town. So I I wasn't I wasn't clear on that at all. <laughs> yeah, like again, whatever there is, there's some barrier between them for many reasons. Like clearly she's popular because there's a couple like dude bros who are like, "Kelly, let me dump my like." weird beer cup on you yeah, and like she's yeah. kind of into it but she's not like she she's probably weirdly enough the only character that doesn't feel like a character like she's just there as like female love interest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where even the two kids feel like even though they're just there to be like damsels in distress so to speak they're at least they feel like at least kid characters yeah yeah i'm with you for sure the Kelly character is, is barely a character. Yeah, the what the the brother, the little the brother of the main kid is is like a rascal and wants to go out even though they're not supposed to and the little sister plays the trombone, you know? That's what we got. Exactly. <laughs> so at that point we're like we're learning about Jake and his domestic situation and we find again he somehow oh god, through his little sister is introduced to 
the oh god brunette british porn actress yeah is what i'm gonna call her (laughs) um so many porn actresses in this movie and it's like oh and then jerry o'connell shows up and it's like oh we we need a local talent scout that can sit there show us all the like locales in this area and he's kind of what guilted into it trying to show that he's able to have a good time Mm -hmm. that that that, like kelly claims that he not even she again it's very weird it's very contrived very just the script is written that way it that's probably the only part of this that doesn't unfold naturally i would say sure just the idea as to why he needs to get out on the lake feels the most contrived yeah and the movie kind of plays it as he's doing it because what what young male of that age wouldn't want to spend time on a on like a porn shoot type of thing cuz cuz they yeah. do, they do have the uh, the moment where you know the the kid agrees to go with them and the little sister says something like well you got a babysitting he gets her to shut up and then there's the scene where he's looking up the what wild wild girls site and elizabeth shoe comes in and yes. he's like mom you didn't knock and he turns it turns it off but i love the moment where she leaves for the first time. Of course, they do the joke again where she comes back in. But when she leaves the first time, he turns his monitor back on, and it is plastered with porn pop-up ads. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, then, again, she shows up again. He's like, Mom, come on. And then, like, we go to the next yeah, scene. Yeah, That's – and then, like, of course, then we sit there, have uh, – he gets on the boat – um, Kelly gets on the boat, despite, but like it makes a big point that with Jerry O'Connell and Kelly that she's underage. Yes, yeah. So like, how many kids come back from college and they're still under the age of eighteen? Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Especially like I, spring break. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so it's like again, whatever. It's contrived. It needs to happen. Everybody read the script, mm-hmm. and then we have the the brother and sister character get on the little like canoe and go across to this weird sort of island in the middle of the lake. Then we have the Adam Scott character come out as what part of like the U.S. Geographical Association or yeah. Geographic, like do all that. And, and it's at that moment, and I get it, they're drawing it out because they want that payoff to really just be a crescendo of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Because pretty much, because I mean, we have Adam Scott and his team go out, and uh, Desi from Starship Troopers gets eaten by the piranha along with her other partner who's in scuba gear yeah yeah. and and then it's at that moment that pretty much the onslaught begins within a couple of minutes at spring break yeah yeah i mean we have once we get the big reveal of um of all the piranhas which i have to say is is a great reveal because there's that moment when we're following the two divers underwater and i think it's the guy the the male diver he's like in there and i think his radio is going down or something and you, you he lights a flare and it reveals a million piranhas yep. as if they were just – I don't know what – you can't sit in water. Whatever fish do to stay still in water, like they were waiting for him. I love that. It's, <laughs> it's very Looney Tunes-esque. Yes. Like it's that yes. Daffy Duck thing of like you turn the light on and everybody has their knives like drawn at you. Exactly. It's sure. very cartoonish. And and that's – like, and, and then – I forgot how soon between the Eli Roth, DJ Chocolate Thunder, the wet t-shirt contest, and then it just – it begins. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, it just – it hits and it does not let up until more or less that we get the moment where Adam Scott and Elizabeth Shue go to rescue the kids. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that's the definitely the best part of the movie is the, um, you know, the, the onslaught and stuff. The Of course, you know, we spend that time where I think we know there's piranhas 
and Elizabeth Shue, they, they go to Christopher Lloyd, and he's like, you know, this fish has been extinct for a bajillion years, and I have this exact fossil right here. And then, of course, there's the whole thing of we get all the all the gratuitous pornography and stuff like that on the on the boat and things things of that nature. I wanted to mention because I think it goes into the onslaught. Uh, there are like like we've been saying. Uh, adult actresses in this movie, like the two. So um, the the British one, uh, the brunette. There's the blonde whose name I don't remember. The parasailing girl who gets their legs eaten off is Gianna Michaels. The even Jerry O'Connell is involved in the porn industry. Bonnie Morgan shows up, who's a contortionist. It's the the first girl in the inner tube who gets like yes, eaten yes. through. And I'm like, okay, so they hired a contortionist to like get sucked through the tube type of thing. Here's the, here's the thing that I found to be not really shocking, but. Maybe the movie is trying to say something with this, especially what we were saying about, you know, this this just not being like a director for hire type of thing. All the porn actresses and all the people related to the porn industry in this movie, I guess with the exception of Paul Shear, die. Even when the British one dies, it's right at the very end. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, what are you trying to say, movie? <laughs> that, at least it stood out to me as strange, you know? Well, that's one thing even going back to 2010 that I could never figure out is that the 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 British one – again, we have our two porn actresses on the Jerry O'Connell boat. One's wearing the red bikini. And the other one's wearing the blue bikini, and that's yeah. just easy. Like, at this point, <laughs> you call them red, red and blue. But the red one, we, even though when she's introduced with Jake and the sister very early in the film, there's something very compassionate about her. Like she's never – like like it's weird that she dies. Yeah, definitely. It's very peculiar. And even because again, like because what? She dies, like you said, very late in the movie. She's trying to crawl all across the, um, the rope tether and like they, they start like snapping in her hair and they drag her under that way mm-hmm. it's very it rem, it's it's a lesser version to go back to one of our favorite filmmakers and another um oh god water attacked by an animal Colin Madman Trevorrow in Jurassic World. <laughs> sure, and, yeah. And, and, and the nanny character who gets like swallowed by the giant like whale dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And it just feels very it, – It's a, even though this movie is very over the top with its gratuitous violence, it never feels mean. No, no. Like I, like you were saying, like force of nature. Like almost like it, it, to some extent it is like a natural disaster. Yes, and then like you compare that – to the scene of the nanny character in Jurassic World where we see that character get picked up by what? Like three or four pterodactyls, picked up, yeah. drop, picked up, <laughs> drop, and then she gets dropped in the water. And then she gets maybe the most over-the-top sequence in any blockbuster film to ever exist where she literally gets swallowed by a dinosaur whale. And yet that one shot seems infinitely more mean-spirited than anything in this movie combined. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The other things I think of in this in this realm of you know the uh, the kills and and it feeling mean is I think of the Final Destination movies even though that is about like mm-hmm. oh that we can't escape death the after the first one which kind of tries to take itself seriously then it's all about you know how much rebar can we fit through a person's face or how how many <laughs> weights can we get to destroy a man's head you know <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that's the poster to the fifth movie Rob it's just rebar going through his skull uh, I mean yeah there's even like the um, because they they do I, I think some of those movies I've seen all of them but it's been a long time but some of those movies are mean to the audience as well not just the characters like there's I think it might be the third or the four, who fucking knows they're all they're all the same uh, but like the the you think the LASIK eye surgery is gonna kill one of the people and it turns out to be a fake out and like as the woman you're like oh she made it through the LASIK eye surgery she walks out of like the the door of, of like the entrance of the place. 
and a and a lawnmower hits a rock that shoots through her head, and I'm yeah. and it's just like. It's like the movie's going, well, fuck these people, fuck you. Like, why do you like this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that was the fifth one, right? Maybe. I don't I have not. They all blend they together. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember because well, that was – oh, God, that was that was also in 3D. I remember you and I saw one of those movies yeah, in theaters Yeah, together. one of them was definitely in 3D for sure. Maybe two of them. <laughs> okay, it's possible. But no, that's one thing about like – because again, the true crescendo of this movie is that just beach uh, the lake sequence where you have again Eli Roth all those characters and it's just like it, it's it's truly a tsunami of just carnage like it's just one thing after the other because you again just to highlight a couple of these moments like we do have the parasailer woman where her her tatas are hanging mm-hmm. out and they're just dragging her through the water. And at one point, like it reminds me of like that Simpsons gag where Homer's parasailing is like higher, higher. <laughs> and then like they eventually like all these dude bros like in the speedboat just like max it out. And we see her come out of the water and she's clearly dead. And it's just the torso up with all this kind of like just like intestinal yeah. just blah just falling out of her as they're like finally raising her up out of the water. Um, like you said, we have the contortionist in the inner tube and the piranha are like attacking her butt and she literally gets sucked through it. Again, nice little visual without being over the top. And then we have the whole DJ Chocolate Thunder, which I will never forget that moment as long as I live. Because hearing Eli Roth, and hopefully we can insert the audio, say, DJ Chocolate Thunder, spin that shit. Yeah. And just like it, and just like, oh, like it's it's again. In 2010, that was hysterical. That was the funniest thing to ever exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I put that quote in both of my Letterboxd reviews for this, for this movie. I, I, that one has stood out to me. I know we've, we've said it to each other many years. Uh, I mentioned earlier, but there's one of the like, – because Eli Roth has the hose, and he's spraying all the, the girls in the white T-shirts. And he says, like, show me those Danny DeVitos, which is a great euphemism. Uh, he says, we got weapons of mass turbation over here. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like I'm like okay I'm like this is when when you need Eli Roth to do something this is what you get him to do you know <laughs> just real quick like not to bring this back to Eli Roth but are you aware that he actually got to make Thanks Killing the Grindhouse trailer no, movie I like, don't think so no uh, he, de- he on his Instagram this morning he debuted a poster and the trailer is debuting tomorrow debuting tomorrow well if it if it makes it make it makes it out in time for November uh, I think we might be able to do a uh, a, a a Thanksgiving episode this year for that. I know. We can only hope there's a turkey in it. We of can course. only hope. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I mean, I'm with you. It's great. Uh, I mean, uh, the, I think it's more of the, like you said, the crescendo is, as I love about it. It's more of the deaths, which is the thing I'm usually not interested in, than it is like the, the hero moments. Like I said, Adam Scott jumping onto the jet ski with a shotgun. I'm like, get out of here. I'm not the biggest fan of like Elizabeth Shue tasering piranhas um, and stuff like that. But all the all the carnage that goes on in these scenes uh, where you're just seeing like things, people cut to ribbons while they're, while they're trying to get on like the sheriff boats or other boats and things like that. When I, when I think things are starting to calm down and it's right before like Elizabeth Shue and Adam Scott go to the the kids in the in the boat that Jerry O'Connell got stuck in the rocks and whatever that there's a scene where you like it, it it's unlike the 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 shore where 
you see two people carrying a body out of the water and the body just yes, rips yes. in half. And I'm like, yep. oh, God, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, clearly they were doing it wrong. You know, they, they, the guy was already, like, ready to come apart. And they're like, okay, let's, you know, let's do it this way. It's, it's for, you know, a visual effect. But it's, like you said, it's not mean. It's almost realistic. Like, like that's like the Saving Private Ryan moment of this movie. <laughs> it's, but that's one thing I want to say that in that podcast interview I listened to with the writer – they described it that way. Like it's treated like a combat sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it shot that way. And I'm just like, it would be so easy to devolve into just the, again, the gratuity of the violence. Like I don't know how else to describe it other than those, those words. And you do get those moments where of course, where the, the blue bikini porn star, uh, porn star model gets eaten. And you see like her breast, her silicone breast implants oh, yeah. kind of bubble to the surface. Mm-hmm. And, and you have those moments though, but like, that entire like ending of the second act is very much shot like a war movie. Yeah. Like it's it, it's not like it's campy through the exaggeration of the violence, not campy as in how it's shot. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And and I guess that's a that's a good uh, thing to bring up the uh, the the campiness in uh, my cameo in the movie, as you put it before, uh, <laughs> when the douche the douchebag boyfriend shows up. Can again. I phrase it? Can I? <laughs> Yes. Can I please frame this entire sequence? Oh, of course, like, like, because <laughs> I, I will say, rewatching it for this recording, I completely forgot about this moment. Because, like, when I think about Piranha 3D, of course, and we did somehow skip over the Jerry O'Connell sequence where we get this. Like, we, we, we hinted at it, but we didn't focus on it. The two porn actresses, blue and red, and we get Swan Lake, and they're filming them at like the like the glass tank under the boat, yeah. under the yeah. mini yacht. Um, where we have Jerry O'Connell say the phrase that, in all honesty, should have should be tattooed on my body somewhere. <laughs> if fish looked like this, I'd fuck fish. Yeah, like like it, it's just it's just like how can you beat that? How can you top it? And yet all this is happening. Like those are the moments I remember. Like I remember that moment. I remember um, Ving Rhames with the boat prop, mm-hmm. just trying to like mow down as many as possible. All these things here and there. Um, Jerry O'Connell being like, they got my penis. They got my penis. Jake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that. And yet we get to this skin, this crescendo of violence at the lake that for the most part is quite detached from our main plot. Sure, absolutely. And and we get to, like Rob said, one of the boyfriend's characters of Kelly's, and he gets into a little, like, what would you even call it, a dinghy? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's like a tiny little propeller boat, you know, like a, like exactly. a fishing boat. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a rental boat, basically. <laughs> exactly. It's something you would use to go out on the lake, like, on a Tuesday morning yeah. to catch a, <laughs> catch a handful of fish. And I forgot about this moment. And as I'm watching it with Rachel, I'm like... Again, she like she's watching this, and the whole time she's just kind of like screaming in jazz. She's like, ah, like, like, and I'm just like, oh my god, she she's not ready for what's about to happen. <laughs> I'm just like, like, I'm just like, oh my god, oh my god. So to frame this scene, one of these douchey boyfriend characters gets in his boat, and he just starts literally plowing through all these people who are in the water being attacked by piranha. Like he's just running into them to the point where you hear skulls just popping. Bang, yes. bang, yes. bang, bang. I'm so glad and you mentioned like, that because when I watched it, uh, of course I remembered it because of me watching it, you know, last November. But when I watched it for this one, it really stood out to me. I was like, damn, they put effort into the Foley of yes. heads getting rammed yes. down by this This. Thank boat. you for saying the word Foley sound design, because it's phenomenal in this yeah. sequence. Oh, yeah. If we live in a just world, this would have, like, an Oscar nomination. <laughs> and 
while this is happening, this character is scream as all these people are screaming in the water. He's screaming, "Get the fuck out of the yes, way!" Yes. <laughs> Tuck, what are you doing? Until eventually, after he's probably mowed down about a dozen different people, his boat prop stalls. And at this point, he's trying to pull the chain to get the engine to start going. And while he's doing this, he's immobilized. Different people in the lake are trying to swarm his boat. Think very Titanic-esque. Think of Billy Zane. I can't let you into my boat. You're going to swarm the boat. And – as this is happening, he's like, "What?" Very similar to Friday the Thirteenth. Where are you, gun? He's pulling the chains. Like, why won't you work, boat? Yeah, he's pulling it. <laughs> we see that the reason why he's being immobilized is that a female lake goer's hair has been caught in the propeller of this boat. <laughs> and I'm just like, and again, me, of course, I'll never forget this scene in the movie. Like, no matter how many years, I'll be in the mental institution at 95, being like. Oh, I remember this. He's pulling the chain. Is this woman screaming because her hair is caught in the prop? And he keeps pulling. He keeps pulling. He keeps pulling. And as everybody is swarming his boat, he eventually gets the engine to start going. And at the exact moment it starts to go, the boat capsizes. And at that exact moment, at for a, again, there's multiple layers. Things are happening in this movie. We see the woman's hair and scalp be literally ripped off of her face where we see a comical skeleton with yeah. eyes blinking shot in the water. Like I can't do this justice describing it. Like go look it up on YouTube. There are, I will say, even though there's no retrospectives of this movie on YouTube, there's no shortage of clips of it available. And this is one of them. And it's just some of the most ghoulish, ghoulish, grim horror film i've ever seen in the last 15 years like i can't I, I would say in like comparing it to what i've watched recently like jason goes to hell things like that even in those movies there's nothing as ghoulish as there is in this one particular shot yeah uh, it's uh, very visceral very visceral and and the thing that it made me think of is um is the the nazis faces melting off at the end of raiders of the lost ark where you're seeing oh, absolutely so much you know gore um, and it, it's it's quick, it's effective, it's visceral, like you said. But uh, and this this whole sequence with the you know with the douchebag boyfriend being like, oh, I need to survive, like don't take me down, and then you know him having no care about this girl and just ripping her her head off, base her, her skin off. 
that it's it's once again goes to what you were saying like this is like a war sequence you know or in that sense it's the um you know every every man for himself you get that perspective you know you get all these different layers of like how would these people react to this natural disaster or this you know this big traumatic event um and it's it's weird that it it works in that way and i'm and you're really you know getting me to think about it more um it's what makes it so effective i i think it's then it's that's what where i'm then disappointed when they get to the the boat with the rope final set piece because i'm like Oh, this is this is now it's like a diehard where this movie should have stayed in the Save It Priving Ryan Ryan mode. Well, that's the thing that I, I just and this is where I give the filmmakers the benefit of the doubt is that how do you top that for a third act? Because sure. like that yeah. that yeah. that shot of her having the skin ripped her scalp skin ripped off her face is the end of your second act for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like where do you go from there? Like you can't top that. You just you just can't. Yeah. <laughs> and and even though it's annoying to have it go especially how campy and dialed up it is, to have it then go back to that smaller scale of the 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 boat, Elizabeth Shue, Adam Scott, it's it's a little disappointing. It's just it, it's like any sort of good meal. Like you have a great meal, you have a fantastic steak or whatever your choice is, and you have dessert. The dessert can't live up to that. It can't live up to the main entree. Sure. It has to be a slow de-escalation of what just came before it and that's where i give it the benefit of the doubt and because that's how any sort of good media should be you have your climax and then you need your resolution because in any other movie again the movie kind of ends out of nowhere because the final shot of the movie is adam scott getting like literally curb stomped by a a giant piranha (laughs) and it's like in any other movie what would happen is you'd have the final shot of all of them getting onto the speedboat. They rescue Jake, Kelly, the two kids, and it's them then getting onto land, hugging each other as the camera pans out. Like it's 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 a camera shot. And, I'm sorry, a crane shot. It pans out, and then we cut to Adam Scott, Elizabeth Shue, Christopher Lloyd in the fish tank shop being like elizabeth shoe uh, you don't realize these were baby piranha <laughs> yeah and then and then that would be your smash cut to credits in any other movie that's what it would be you would not have that just dialed up tension and then adam scott being murdered smash cut to credits sure and that's where even though the third act is relatively i, I don't even want to say disappointing it's again it's more dialed down that second act is just so insane. You've got nowhere to go but down after that's, that. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah. That's where I cut them slack because it's just like you've nailed your second act so well. And it's so hard for most media – forget about movies even when it comes to literature – to nail a second act that well. To have your third act basically be your re- your 20-minute resolution or in this case 15-minute resolution mm-hmm. – because it is. The third act is somewhat clunky because, again, we, we rescue the kids. Red bikini, porn star gets killed. Um, and then you have that weird, weird moment where Jake's like, oh, I can't reach Kelly. I'm going to use Jerry O'Connell's <laughs> yeah. quasi-corpse as subterfuge for the piranha. I, it, it is clunky. I'm not going to argue that it's not ideal. But at the same time, if you're watching this for the first time – you never get sucked out of the premise of the movie. It's never jarring. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. I'm with you. I 
I, I have to say, uh, also, in the um, transition from that, you know, spring break attack scene, uh, second act to the third act of the boat, it's one, of, it's one of the things that I find very goofy that works for me in this movie. Um, Elizabeth Shue gets, like, the call where for, it's like, you know, where are you? He's like, Mom, I messed up. We're trapped, and there's a bunch of piranhas. Did you know about these piranhas? You know, stuff like that. And she's like, well, I guess I got to go and save my kid. And there is just perfectly aligned like crash bandicoot platformer-esque series of objects that she can jump across to get to the speedboat and i'm like that is goofy and i love it (laughs) but that and and that's where this movie even in 2010 never mind now in 2023 is such like a breath of fresh air it's just that like if if that was being made today, people are like, well, you can't do that. It's too it's too goofy. Like you yeah. just you just can't. Like no one would believe that. And even the whole Adam Scott, like you mentioned, him like on a jet ski, just like with the shotgun, like literally like with one hand recocking it and then shooting them. Yes. Um. <laughs> like and, and that's where is it goofy? Yes, but it's never it never takes you out of the final product. And I wish people understood just how hard that is because I do want to like. I want – as I was watching this entire sequence, especially the moment where Elizabeth Shue shoots one of the piranha who leaps out of the water oh, yeah. with the taser gun, mm-hmm. there's a moment – and this is a spoiler alert for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, one of my favorite titles of all time for a movie. <laughs> um, truly a mouthful. Is yeah, that, yeah. The, and this the, is, the next one's going to be uh, Mission Impossible. No, Mission. What is it? Mission colon impossible. Whoa, 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 like oh god elder statesman blockbuster phase sure there's a moment in the latest mission impossible where you've probably seen it rob but like the the big action sequence of this latest mission impossible is him literally riding a motorcycle off of a mountain i imagine you've seen that through cultural osmosis at this point yeah there was a bunch of youtube ads for that movie about what month two ago (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and yet they, they made such a big point of that sequence Yet the payoff to that sequence in the movie is a literal a comedic beat. Oh, okay. To the point where, and you know me, Rob. Like I'm not somebody who guffaws. Ever the audience should know. Ever since Avengers: Infinity War, I do I do not guffaw in a movie screen. And yet, when this moment happened in that movie. I literally started clapping because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> because it went from a dramatic beat to a comedic beat on a dime, and yet it never felt jarring. Okay, right on. And and, and that's the thing that I think as we live in a very – and I don't even know what to call it. We live in a world now when it comes to media like we live in a very post-meta universe mm-hmm. where we've moved beyond the – Ferris Bueller, come on, the movie's over. Leave. Oh, sure. Like we, yeah. we live in that universe that's beyond that. Like, I know there's a set photo that's leaked of Deadpool 3 where it's Planet of the Apes, but instead of Statue of Liberty, it's the 20th Century Fox logo. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> which, which, like, again, like, 
I've laughed at that. I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what context is being used in, but that's really funny. <laughs> the idea of the 20th Century Fox logo being submerged in beach sand. And of course, you know, Deadpool is going to be like, they blew it up. You monsters, you blew yeah. it up. Yeah. That's the thing that this movie in 2010 nails, tonally speaking, so well. The idea of having a dramatic, suspenseful beat mixed with comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we take for granted, yet it's so hard to master. Yeah, yeah, it strikes a good balance for sure. Yeah, and that's where I just – like, as much as you're kind of looking at the parkour of Adam Scott and Elizabeth Shue as hokey, and if I'm wrong, please correct me. I look at it and I'm like it, it's goofy, but it doesn't take me out of the final product. Sure. I, I'm definitely more okay with it with Elizabeth Shue, I, but you're absolutely right that – this is one of the things I was mentioning earlier, like back in 2010, I had probably had no information on who Adam Scott was. And so I was just like, OK, you know, I, he's doing an action thing and that's what this movie's going for in that bit. Now I'm totally just like, no, Adam Scott, you holding a shotgun is incorrect. You know, <laughs> like he, he's, oh, he's yeah. come a long way, at least for his celebrity persona from from that. Oh, yeah. Like I said, like, like and we should say that, like, Adam Scott is somebody who. In what? When this was filmed in like early 2009, barely had a career. Exactly. Yeah. Like I remember him like – oh god. Like we've, we've numerous times reiterated how terrible The Office is. <laughs> but like I barely knew who Adam Scott was like until like Ben Stiller, Walter Mitty. OK. OK. Which, which is again a deep cut in and of itself. But yeah, like I said, I, it's, it's one of those things where I'm not really – it, it it's clunk it's goofy bordering on clunky but i think still leans into goofy before it gets to that level yeah okay i see what you're saying yeah i i haven't really seen adam scott in anything except his tv show stuff and i don't really remember him as well in any of it <laughs> well, you know with the no. exception of parks and rec cuz he's a main character for more than half of that show and because what cuz my first introduction to him was what in step brothers with will ferrell and john c riley oh see like that even i didn't remember you know <laughs> really okay yeah, yeah i also haven't i haven't seen that movie in probably 13 years as well oh i'm i'm scott <laughs> Uh, I do. I, I had to look through his filmography even to remember this, but he's in the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone version of Nightmare oh, at Thirty Thousand Feet. He's yes. the main character in that, which, which, uh, as everybody knows, I, I regularly try to block out in my memory. <laughs> I will say, Rob, like I have been, because like spoiler alert for the rest of Monstober, we will be discussing the OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I've been going through some of our older episodes, and there is a point in one of our older discussions where we're like, yeah. There's a new Twilight Zone reboot. Like, and Rob says explicitly, kind of looking forward to it, even though I know it's going to be bad. I was so excited <laughs> for that. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like, like Cinemodis has been lo- around long enough now that we have those moments where we have our snapshot in time where we're like, yeah, this thing's coming out, and I'm kind of excited for it. And then, like, you listen back to it. Like, never mind as an audience member, but then as somebody who actually recorded that and we're like, <sighs> like, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> it's like, like the level of just like innocence that, like, we didn't know any better. It's like, yeah, like, like Paramount's making a new Twilight Zone. It's gonna be fun. And then, like, we find out about like octopuses and squids and yeah. uh, Joel mm-hmm. McHale. And we're like, oh boy! <laughs> if only we knew. If only we knew what was going to happen. But with that being said, 
going back to the podcast I listened to oh, with yeah, yeah. screenwriter that co-penned this, um, it was recorded in the summer of 2020, and he brings up a point, and we, we've talked about this a lot on Cinematis, considering that Cinematis is wholeheartedly a podcast that has been generated in a post-Trump world. Mm-hmm. At, and even though this point has nothing to do with Trump, it is something that clearly is tangential to just politics and media. Okay. And that, so it's summer of 2020. The co-screenwriter is talking about the movie, and he and he phrases it as such. He goes, "Have any of you ever watched Jaws?" And of course, you have the moment where the mayor character is like, "We're not going to close down the beach. This is too much of a money making yeah, scene. Yeah, we're not going to listen to Roy Schneider." And he goes. And he's trying to equate this to Florida in 2020. He's like, can you believe how stupid the people of Florida are in 2020 2020, trying to go on a beach in July? Okay, okay. And and he's equating this to the piranhas Mm -hmm. and the shark in Jaws. And he's like, at least you can get out of the water and your problems are solved in 2020. I'm sorry, in 1975. In 2020, if you get out of the beach, your problems have just begun. And I'm just like... Is this motherfucker really, really trying to equate coronavirus to the idea of there being a man-eating shark in the waters of Martha's Vineyard and in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> in 2020? I'm like, I'm just like, I you know, I don't want to make this political. I really don't. Like we made cinema used to make a big point over the last five years to never go down the political waters, but it's just like. Uh, like a man-eating force of nature is much different than a virus on a beach. You know what? I I, sh- I should have seen it coming where you were going with this because I think that's the that's the type of analogy that people are going to make because they think they're making this profound connection when yep. it's not even low-hanging fruit. It's it's something that I think we've said and Ben and I say it all the time. It's not low-hanging fruit. It's fruit that's already fallen off the tree and is rotting on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like if you thought about it a little bit more, you shouldn't be making that connection. <laughs> Absolutely. Because like, so I'm listening to this interview and I'm just like, oh my god. I'm, I, it's just those things where like can anything, even Piranha 3D, can it please be exempt from the culture war? Yeah, like I I get it. Like we live in a world now where both Barbie and Oppenheimer are the two highest grossing movies of the year. Well, not Oppenheimer, but Barbie definitely is. And they're both very, very steeped in the culture war Mm -hmm. to both work where Barbie is this weird thing where like I remember hearing rumors about that movie back earlier this year where like America Ferreira would lecture the audience about like feminism. And I'm like, there's no way that like Mattel's going to let them do this. And very much Mattel is the butt of the joke in Barbie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you see Oppenheimer and it's like people are like, this film doesn't discuss the the, the aftermath of what unleashing an atomic bomb did to the people of Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like – are you out of your mind? That's what you expect. I, again, we live in a, mo- in a world now, and this, and we will definitely, definitely discuss this when it comes to the OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre discussion. That just film criticism has devolved into a point where just, and it goes back to what Rob was saying with both him and Ben, 
that just people, as opposed to plucking low hanging fruit, would rather eat the rotting grapefruit off the ground. <laughs> I uh, yeah, because on that point, I think it's like you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure somebody out there, even listening to this as we describe it, or somebody listened to that original you know statement from the um the the co writer, in a vacuum, you can immediately think. Like, oh, like, I get the analogy, you know, they're both on a beach. There's, you know, something that's attacking them, that type of thing. But, I mean, I think the analogy falls apart, or or the example exemplar for why it's not a good analogy is because you could pick, we could pick any other movie, basically, that has this very, very base notion of, like, people getting attacked by something and them being in an area like you could compare coronavirus to like cloverfield like oh they should have never left the tunnels you know and it's like get the fuck out of here that's where it becomes stupid you can pick any movie and compare it in this way type of thing well that's and like that's the thing you can you can uh, compare anything you'd like Mm -hmm, exactly and that's where where it's like i just don't get it how again clearly whoever this person was wrote this movie 10 years earlier and yet somehow cannot connect the fact that like one is an imminent danger you're in the water with some bloodthirsty creature and then juxtaposing that to a virus that takes days if not weeks to consume you if you're so inclined yeah yeah and yet somehow in a public recording thinks they are equivalent sure they're like it's just like it's just i can't wrap my head around that and and that's where you just again you take film culture and you just have to yeet it out the window and just be <laughs> like like it's like it's and that's where again we're definitely like not to tip my hand too far when it comes to OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre but it's really boiling down to outside of Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael no film criticism matters anymore sure. none, <laughs> none of it matters outside of those two and. It's it's just so so demoralizing for just discussing media going forward, and again, Rob can attest again in that Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. That just I became very demoralized into what the future holds for all of us. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely where it'll come up the most because I think that that movie is such a like you you said earlier lightning rod type of thing for those those ideas and any of those famous movies are you know i mean i feel like we talked about it with um silence of the lambs and you know that yep and the yep. whole buffalo bill thing and, and all that and it's like of course think times are going to change and people are going to and th- and that's the other uh this this is a good thing we should definitely get into more with the original texas chainsaw massacre the fact that uh different generations come along and make the same comparisons or similar comparisons with new ideas uh, and think they're breaking ground. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That's And that's what I'm kind of afraid of with all this. Because, like, Rob, you tell me, what's the latest movie of the last 10 years that would be even on the same level as Piranha 3D? What's the last hokey quasi-exploitation film? Like, oh, God, you watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies with – um. Right, that's what it was called. Yes, with what's yeah. his name, uh, Pete Davidson and Rachel. Yeah, Stanley. yeah. Because uh, that's like that's what people think exploitation films are now. Yes, yeah. And that is very, very different from what Piranha 3D is. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, bodies, bodies, bodies was definitely one of the uh, like one of the more 
slasher-esque type movies that I've seen recently. I get, I did recently watch Green Room with Anton Yelchin. Oh, okay. And Patrick Stewart? Yeah, but that's a, and that's a gory movie. Like, that movie does not shy away from the gore, but it's played very, very sincerely, which um, I guess ties in a little bit to what we were saying with, like, this being shot, Piranha 3D being shot like a war film at times. But Green Room's more vibes than than this movie is. But I guess that's something close. And that's that's what, 2016. I think that's Anton Yelchin's yeah. last movie before his posthumous stuff. And that's where it's just I I, I live for this cinema of, of – oh, God, big – I don't even want to call this big budget. But I guess just high-profile exploitation mm-hmm. gonzo cinema. Yeah. And it really doesn't exist anymore. It, it really has become a relic of a previous generation to the overall detriment of the cultural ecosystem that it lives in. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and I'm totally with you. That, that's that been like two-pronged for me. That's why I'm now going to the theaters to see, like, 20 to 25 anniversary events of, like, you know, <laughs> Ghost in the Shell, Perfect Blue, and Coraline and stuff like that. Or I'm the person in my friend group going, we have to go see Bottoms. It doesn't look that great, but we're ne- we don't get raunchy teen comedies anymore, so we have to be yeah. there for it, you know? <laughs> well, a lot of it, too, is that just what is the equivalent of this stuff that we knew prior? Like, if you wanted to make an American Pie nowadays, what would that even be? Like every 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 teenager now lives their own contained experience. Yeah, yeah. There is no more like I remember back in college, and of course Rob will probably laugh at this. I had a sociology professor professor who sat there oh God, he, he went a couple like he phrased like I said, he was kind of a goober, mm-hmm. but he phrased it this way. He's like, Oh, if I want to be emo, I go to hot topic. Oh, <laughs> if I wanna be I'm trying to think of another clue. If he's like, if I want to be, if I'm a woman, and I want to be sexy. I go to Victoria's Secret. He goes, if I want to be homogenized, I go to the Gap. Sure. And that's and like I remember like in 2011 losing my mind at that, where I literally wrote that in my notes. Is like I was the only person that would like laugh at those jokes because I found them so amusing. <laughs> and that's the problem is that like the problem is that we've taken the word homogenized and we've bastardized it. We've yeah. painted it as solely a bad term. Homogenized is not a bad thing as a concept. Homogenized is Friends being the predominant TV show of the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Homogenized is Avengers Endgame being the culmination <laughs> of 10 plus years of superhero Marvel nonsense. Right, yeah. It's not a bad thing as a concept. It's a bad thing – in that it destroys everything else that goes around it. And that's the thing is that like going back to just all these tenets of what cinema is supposed to be as just genres, we don't have any of that anymore. Everything has to be in this very specific lane and nothing's allowed to dabble in different genres, different realms in the way that Piranha 3D does. And that's where um oh god, what's maybe you know Rob, the, the latest Jennifer Lawrence movie, it's a comedy where like Oh yeah, where where she gets paid to be the kid's yes. boy, girlfriend. Yeah, I don't Exactly. Oh, no hard feelings, I think it's called. Yes, yeah. yes. And like I'm genuinely excited to watch this movie though, even though I'm just like I really don't like Jennifer Lawrence as an actor because from what I've read it's meant to be this kind of, like you said, with Bottoms, this comedy 
that we haven't seen probably in about five to ten years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yeah. And that's the problem is that like really comedy slash humor does not exist as a genre anymore. It's been wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of No Hard Feelings, something that did not look interesting at all to me. Uh, but but it was something where when the trailer started I went on like a YouTube ad on my TV, I watched the whole two-minute trailer, and I was like, oh, I did not think this movie would get made anymore. And I was waiting for at the end of the trailer to go like, hey, so get your Netflix subscription now because that's where these movies exist if they exist at all. And it, and it had a theatrical release, so yep. good for that. At least. I mean, Bottoms as well. I, I was most intrigued by that movie because I really love Rachel Sennett and I love I love Shiva Baby Emma Seligman's first movie. God, Bottoms and Shiva Baby could not be two more different movies. Like Shiva Baby is a psychological horror movie, but it's I, that's what I see it as. I'm like these don't exist, I, so you got to be there to represent. I think. <laughs> yeah, and that's what and that's what needs to happen. And like again, there's so much filler nowadays. Like I I look at the Netflix charts, I look at the Hulu, all the streaming services. And it's just like, oh god, there's just like it, it, we weirdly live in that blockbuster culture again. It's just there's so much crap just being pumped out, and there's so much noise. Where at least back during the blockbuster era of the '80s, you had the studios who would command the marketing power. Now there, that element doesn't exist. It just it just doesn't. And it's you know it's bad to have a, like a handful like an old a cinematic oligarchy. Nowadays, there's just so much noise; everything gets lost in the mix Absolutely. to the point where nothing, nothing benefits because of it. Yeah, I had someone telling me about some TV show that's that's new and like ongoing currently. Of course, it's on some streaming service, and they're like, "Oh, it's really good," and and like you know, it's and blah blah blah. Like they're singing its praises, and I'm like, I have never heard of this before. <laughs> yeah, like what was that TV show that was on Hulu where it's one of the guys from Shameless, and he like he basically is like a Gordon Ramsay that runs a restaurant, and everyone was like losing their minds over it, and I'm like, I'm gonna literally just wait out the clock on this. Within like a week and a half, no one's even gonna care about this thing because everybody yeah. was talking about it, and I'm just like, I I just like I have access to Hulu. It's it's it wouldn't be hard for me to consume this, but I'm just like I I, I don't care. It's just there's not enough time in a day. Exactly, exactly. I also want to mention on the on the concept of comedies and homogenization. I, I it it's still it it has always bothered me my whole life. But I and I know I know comedy is subjective, and I kind of have a weird perverse uh, like instance when it happens. I, I hate the homogenization of. The people in the theaters don't laugh at the best jokes in the movie. <laughs> I'm the only oh, one yeah. laughing. Like, you know, it's not really like the it's the I'm the spy moment from Rise of Skywalker. I was the only one to uproariously laugh at that. Um, but that that's a little different. But I was the when I saw Barbie opening night in theaters, a packed theater, I was the only person to laugh at the joke where <laughs> where it's a great joke. Margot Robbie is sobbing and she goes she thinks I'm a fascist. I don't even control the railways. And I'm like, this is awesome, you know? But it also takes me back to the instance, I think I told you this before, I was playing Cards Against Humanity with people, and the prompt was, the orgy came to a grinding halt because of blank. And somebody put the invisible hand. And I was like, well, that's one of the best jokes I've ever heard, that Thomas Paine's invisible hand concept stopped an orgy. <laughs> But no one else Fair found enough. that funny, and I also have to explain that to everybody that was there, other than the person that played it. <laughs> I want – if anybody ever doubted Rob and I's friendship, the other day something happened to me where I was at the infamous, infamous Gonorrhea, where Rob and I have watched many, many movies. 
And we actually got to see a person. Oh, God. Like, Rob, you remember Target, right? At, at the Ganyaria? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, the shopping carts are designed at the Target Ganyaria that if you try going into the mall, it, like, locks the brake on it. And you it just full oh, stop. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Rachel and I got to watch a woman trying to push a shopping cart into the Ganyaria from Target with a baby, with a baby in the thing. And the cart just went from like, I don't know, mile and a half per hour to zero. And it just locked. And I lost my mind. And I said the words out loud, the invisible hand of karma. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And I'm just like, and I'm just like, like, and of course, like everyone's like, oh my God, is the baby okay? And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like, just desserts, motherfucker. Um, (laughs) Like, it's just like, I'm like, no, you can't take the, the cart outside of Target. This is the price you pay for it. I'm sorry, but there are rules we've all agreed to deal with it. Um, but yes, so getting, but I absolutely agree with you. That's unfortunately where our culture is at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Uh, at least, at least we do have Piranha 3D for us. <laughs> yeah, it's something. It, it's a weird consolation prize, but one nonetheless. Yeah. I, I don't think I had anything more about Piranha 3D to specifically say, but I think you might have mentioned it earlier, Zach. Did you rewatch Piranha 3 Double D also? I did not, okay, but there okay. are some there are some points on that I do want to touch upon. Yeah, I want to because I was thinking about rewatching it. I just didn't find the time, um, so I want to see if you did. But I do want to kind of see it now that I've seen this one twice in in one year. I should actually I should just make the effort, you know. But yeah, what did you want to say about the sequel? Three double D. What do you got? <laughs> oh man, Rob, do you remember the context to this movie from the summer of 2013? Uh, I. Probably less than Piranha 3D, but I, I know for a fact I, I still have it. I know exactly where it is. The, yes. uh, the double DVD of the Spring Breakers and Piranha 3 Double D. Thank you. Um, Thank you. That's I, all I wanted to hear, Rob. That's okay. all I wanted to hear. <laughs> that's and that's the thing. When I when I was planning on rewatching it, I was like, oh, I would just put the DVD in my PlayStation. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two things about. I, I only I think I've only ever watched that movie twice. The big thing is that it stars Danielle Panabaker, who um, we will know from the girlfriend of Where Are You, Gun? Yes. yes. <laughs> and two other key points. And this is one thing I have to say. I did forget the line started the blur between Piranha 3D and Piranha 3 Double D, which should be said, fantastic title for a sequel, is that Ving Rhames reprises his appearance. And at one point, he literally says in the trailer, he goes, Bring me my legs. And he has like <laughs> – yeah, it's uh, – I have not watched that movie since like 2013, but uh, I look forward to at some point delving into it. It is – much like how Rob has a burned copy of it, I have a burned copy of it, and it's in the Piranha 3D Blu-ray case. Perfect. So at some point, but I did not watch it for this recording. But this is one factoid that everybody talked about post-Piranha 3D, all three of us, was that – what happened to the Paul Shear character in Piranha 3D? Yes, yes. He just disappeared. Exactly. And I'm glad you bring this up because I, I think where you're going with this is I looked at the cast of 3DD and I think I saw his name, right? He is. Okay. They okay. do bring him back to explain his disappearance from the first <laughs> film. He's Perfect. only like, – like I will say that like Paul Shear is at a point in his career probably for the last – oh, god, eight 
eight, five to eight years that he's less seen as an actor now and now as a podcaster. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say like his podcast, like um, w- what happened or whatever it's called. I have tried listening to it a few times and like we all laugh at how kind of like clunky blank check has become. Mm-hmm. That, pa- that podcast doesn't even try to be be about movies anymore oh okay like like like, like you look at it's like oh what went wrong and you listen to that and like they'll pick a movie like jupiter ascending i'm just using that off the top of my head Mm -hmm. and you listen to it and like it has nothing to do with like discussion about the movie like it's just like not saying they don't discuss it but just like there's no insight analysis at all into what like oh what creative decisions led this to be such a wonky film going experience it's very much a title like a name that has no nothing behind it like it's imagine if you sat there watched the cooking show it's like oh this is i'm trying to think of a like um oh god you're gonna laugh at this rob you remember epicurious that was on like pbs oh yeah (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) like like imagine if you had a show like that but instead of it discussing film recipe i'm sorry a tv show discussing film uh oh my god i'm having a stroke (laughs) um instead of a tv show discussing food recipes it was discussing, oh, why is it that these people make these dishes? Okay. It's gotcha. just like it, it's so disconnected to what you would think it would be about. Mm-hmm. And it's really like people look at it. Like as I look at it, it's like the weird blank check inherited its throne as like the premier movie discussion podcast. Because like back in like the mid-2010s, that was the go-to film podcast okay and then they moved so so far away from film discussion and analysis that's when blank check picked up the slack and then that's why they became such the tour de force they've become in film culture mm-hmm. and so but no paul Shear, he's a he's an odd comedian if he even still does comedy yeah yeah <laughs> um but he's fine in this like he's kind of like a glorified extra in the grand scheme of things yeah i think um he there's one line we haven't mentioned that I think is from him. It's when they're doing like the tequila body shots and the the two teenage kids are or, or, uh, t- kids of indeterminate age and educational status. Uh, they're yes. like they're doing like the will they won't they. And I think Paul Shears is the one who says, "Come on, guys, we're shooting a porno, not a drama. Let's make a decision." <laughs> <laughs> like I said, some fantastic. Fantastic lines of dialogue in this. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Zach, any anything, any final thoughts on the the piranhas? Uh, just just one. Okay. Tie this back to Jerry O'Connell, who yes. truly is the star of this movie. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. like this should be written on his tombstone. That and Kangaroo Jack <laughs> is going back to, of course, who his character is based off of. Oh, that's which right. Is, yes, yes. <laughs> like it, it's something that nowadays seems antiquated. But, Rob, could you please, in the only way that you know how, describe to the audience at home that may not be inclined, describe Girls Gone Wild and what that was as an entertainment enterprise. Girls Gone Wild was, for a, ve- a rather long time, I would say, like, the way – I maybe maybe as like you know the uh, the I don't want to not pre it wasn't definitely precursor I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but like parallel to like Playboy in the era of this is how young people saw breasts for the first time in their life you know other than being breastfed that's because you don't that you don't count you don't remember that <laughs> so I think the joke became which had to be so popular because it was real uh, that it happened to so many people that. You would have kids 
up late at night in their parents' basement trying to move the uh, bunny ear antenna to get the Girls Gone Wild commercial to come into view on the TV yes. type of thing. And it was basically like and, – and it became such a cultural standpoint because then, of course, you know, there had to be a million Law & Order SVUs about the predatory nature of, of those types of things. But the general gist was what if – Every night was Mardi Gras, and instead yes. of just being able to throw some beads at a woman and they'll take their top off, you could just say, hey, don't you want to take your top off? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, with a beautiful the, way to explain it. Yes, and with the, of course, lubrication of alcohol and I'm sure other drugs and the, the notion of a camera, which I think is the, the most telling and, telling and um, you know, kind of connecting line to – Girls Gone Wild and that notion that Jerry O'Connell says, he's like, women love the camera. You point it at them, they'll do anything, you know? That's, that, was the, that was the Girls Gone Wild. At least that was the, um, the notion that I know the, uh, I'm sure the, all the angry, upset mothers didn't like about it and things like that. And Mariska Hargitay. And Mariska Hargitay, of course, yeah. Oh, there's so many SVU episodes where it's like, you know, oh, they make their money doing a Girls Gone Wild thing, but then someone got raped, and that's the first five minutes, you know? And it's like, let's see where this goes, and guess what? It goes the same place every time because <laughs> that show's very didactic, and, of course, everybody knows that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's okay. They were bad guys, you know? They weren't just in it for money. They were terrible people, like, like Jerry O'Connell in this. And I'm sure the character's based on the founder of Girls Gone Wild in those SVU episodes and other criminal procedure shows. I'm sure there's, like... Even shows you wouldn't think. There's probably a CSI episode that has a Girls Gone Wild tie-in, you know? Criminal oh, yeah. Minds, I'm sure. NCIS probably has one. And and because that's that's the naval crimes and stuff, so that worked perfectly. There's got to be a Spring Break NCIS episode in every location they go to. Hell, I, I, I wouldn't put it past him that there's like a, a Monk episode that involves Girls Gone oh Wild or God. something. Oh my God, Tony Shalhoub, what's <laughs> happened to you? I'm glad you re you remembered to bring this up because I you mentioned earlier I was reading the same stuff that you were that Jerry O'Connell in the press was like yeah I I modeled my character after the name of the guy who did Girls Gone Wild and I think everybody else in the cast and crew and the director and writers were like no 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 that wasn't our intent you know we're not we're not really making him out to be this big of a sleaze bag or anything and and Jerry O'Connell's like no this is this was my intention uh, this is what I was going for. <laughs> And, and then you mentioned the lawsuit. I didn't look into that too much, or the threatening of a lawsuit from, you know, the Girls Gone Wild guy. And I think Girls Gone Wild as a whole, just being like, this is a poor representation of what we are trying to do. Because I'm sure SVU haven't been around for 10 or 11 years at the point that oh, this yeah. movie comes out. I'm sure that Girls Gone Wild was somehow trying to do the PR spin thing that, you know, Maxim and Playboy and all those... All the all the smut of our world came to uh, came to spin it as is that no, it's not smut, it's female empowerment, and we don't want anybody to think any differently. And so, so yeah, but I thought that was hilarious that Jerry O'Connell was like, the only thing I didn't do for this role to prepare was shadow the man himself, you know. <laughs> But yes, I, I had to highlight that because like seeing some of those interviews with Jerry O'Connell and he's just like, oh, yeah, wait, I can't say this. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like it's like again, like you got to give credit where credit is due for Jerry O'Connell. Like it's like the thing that like Robert Downey Jr. would go on to become, where like he starts to actually become like Tony Stark wealthy in real life. Yeah, so he would emulate the behavior of the comic book character. Where like in interviews, Jerry O'Connell's like, "Yeah, this I'm this guy, but I'm not supposed to be this guy on paper." It's like <laughs> it's like well done, well done. Yeah, Jerry O'Connell's great, and we're not done with him. He's gonna come up in my snacks again uh, for sure. Uh, but I guess with all that being said, Zach, are you ready for our questions? Of course. Do you want to do snacks or uh, late night and cinematics? Yeah, let's do cinematics and late night first. Um, I think late night, this is a, 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 a absolutely, it's it's short, it's sweet, it's fun. It, it's one of those like, why not? Like what, like what possibly could you list as to not show this as a late night movie? Um, cinematics, I originally, after I watched the movie and made my notes, I, I said I, I was leaning towards no, kind of in the sense that it's like, oh, I, I wrote down this is what I expect from this type of movie, but I think I was saying that more just because of my memory of it, especially from a year ago and especially from, you know, 10 years ago. But I think with our discussion and how we talked about the way it's framed and the way it's set up and, and the way it is, it is very unique in, in, in its uh, execution and, and stuff like that and strikes the balance it does. I think you've convinced me. I think I got to go yes to Cinemodities uh, to this one. So what do you think for our questions? I, I 100% concur. Um Late night movie, it's a romp. You, there's not much else like it. Like it reminded me of Jason Goes to Hell, all these other kind of just over-the-top horror movies. It really is in a class of its own, just in a dying breed of genre of just campy, delightful, yet not objectively bad horror nonsense. As for Cinemati, yes, for all the aforementioned reasons, just because it, it totally is able to walk the line. That most movies can't like things like Jason goes to hell again. It's just mm-hmm. like even though it's able to be both somewhat serious and hokey, it doesn't appeal to a lot of people. Um, I think if you're on board for the premise Piranha 3D, if you're able to even let this be played, you should be able to enjoy this on some level. <laughs> yeah. And um, like we said, there, there's not much else like it. I think Piranha 3D died like a dog's death at the box office or if it even got a box office or a theatrical release. Um. Yeah. No. I. I think it's a yes across the board. Right. It's. On, a, it's. Right it, it's a true cornerstone of uh, what cinema cinematics would become, because even though it kind of got swallowed by the Inceptions, the Ted Bundys, the Eraserheads of 2010, it does have a uh, chapter in the legacy of where this podcast would originate and where it would be go on to. Absolutely. To be. Yeah. And I. And I'm excited to. Uh watch three double d because that's got to be an easy viewing you know <laughs> that's not something where it's like oh man it's too late to start this i need to give it my full attention you know it's not <laughs> it's not like it's like oh man you know you like you can't start like i don't know zodiac or something at 11 p.m you know <laughs> sure sure like, it's a little like, more relaxed you're like the process is putting me to sleep of zodiac type of thing <laughs> so okay for the restaurant let me let me say it because i, I mentioned it the i i want it called the Jerry O'Connell meal, because um, I don't remember his name in this, his character's name in this movie, whatever it is. He's, Derek? He's, Darren? De- one of those. Derek or Darren, yeah. Um, but there's some point near the beginning where I'm pretty sure it's when he's trying to convince Kelly to get on the boat with, um, with, with everybody else. And he says something like he, – he mentions three things specifically – and I kind of want this to just be a plate. It's a, it's the meal, the Jerry O'Connor meal. So there's like it's like a plate, and much like you'd see as like the classic traditional depiction of a you know 
family dinner, like maybe, you know, like there's, there's a meat, there's a vegetable, and there's a starch. And they're all sectioned perfectly. Like here's the slices of meat, there's a lump of potatoes, and there's a scoop of peas. But the Jerry O'Connell meal is that same type of setup, but it's body paint, condoms, and ready whip. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think, you know, you get like the slice of meat. You get a, maybe one or two condoms rolled out on the plate. You get a you get a scoop of ready whip, and you get like a I don't know a little lump of body paint or whatever. <laughs> very very unique dish right there. Yes, I think and because I think body paint has to be like a little thicker. Like it's not like you know like a watercolor or anything. Of course, you know I think it has to be a little thicker. But I thought that was great, um, and that's also just a good way for anybody out there listening to this. You know, if you want to convince somebody to do something, tell them, hey, I got body paint, condoms, and ready whip. Like. How can you go wrong with those things? <laughs> um, the other one I want to throw out that's food related. I have one that's not food related that we can we can uh, figure out where to where to utilize it. But I'm sure we have it in the restaurant already. But not for this type of fish. I want piranha caviar. I'm sure we got weird caviar mm. already. Um, I'm sure there was a point where we talked about including human caviar, uh, that type of ordeal. However, that would be able to be harvested. But piranha caviar. And, and you know, maybe if we have enough, I'll have to check the spreadsheet when I'm doing the editing. Maybe we'll have enough caviars after this or one day to do, like, you know, the caviar sampler platter or something like that. Ooh, I like that. Now that's, now that's a novelty. Yes, yes. Um, but, yeah, I have to look it up, but I'm sure we have caviar already. Um, I'm sure we have caviar that's insane. Like, wasn't there, there's there's got to be some movie we watched where like there was a big version of like a, like an egg or an embryo or something, and it was well, like, alien alone. Yeah, that's got to be where what I'm thinking of. Where it's like let's do like alien. Uh, maybe it was like Prometheus or Alien Covenant where they find like the hall of all the eggs, and it's like oh that's a great thing for caviar. Except they're not tiny little eggs; they're gigantic. <laughs> That has to be where I'm coming from. <laughs> the caviar glory hole just got bigger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I should say that I want a uh, Jerry O'Connell animatronic in the restaurant. I think that. Okay. <laughs> Can you eat piranha? That's my real question. Like, I want, like, think of, like, a luau, but instead of, like, a hog. I oh, want okay. piranha. Like I want a little rotisserie fire. We make one of our employees at the restaurant just like constantly be cranking some piranha. I don't know if it's something that can be eaten. I would imagine it's probably not the most tasty fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think, but I think we should offer it. I think piranha would be a nice little just like odd fish dish that we probably don't have, but it has to be like flame roasted. It can't be anything else. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would even add to that if we were able to get our hands on some of the adult versions of the piranhas in this movie, then we'd be good to go. That's a good meal right there. Or a li- of course. At least a lot of coming off of it. So according to fishmasters.com, piranhas are safe to eat, but only in small doses because they have a very high amount of mercury in them. <laughs> really? I guess that's a South America thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently they're, they are very much edible. Uh, I, I guess I, I want to find if somebody could describe the taste. I don't know. <laughs> Or more even the texture. Sure, sure. Oh, f- okay. Fishmasters, you gave me good info with the mercury and stuff, but now now you're losing me. I scrolled down in the article, the article titled, Can You Eat Piranha? Uh, this is what I'm reading. Fishy would be the best description of the taste. Oh, okay, Jesus. thank you. Thank you for helping us out, okay? <laughs> that narrows it down. Uh, so, yeah, I dig that. Piranha. I, I like the, the, the spit roast piranha idea as well. <laughs> yeah, why not? Maybe have some, like... Maybe have like a part of like a boat show, some parkour. 
Oh, okay. So like, bo- okay. some like boat show parkour. So like, it's not just simply like you know, like you go to Sea World, they have like those demonstrations yeah. where somebody's yeah. like parasailing. Maybe some nice boat show parkour. Okay, okay. That that's also now making me think: Should we include some form of a? Uh, Eli Roth wet t-shirt contest in the restaurant. <laughs> maybe just on spring break weekends. Ooh, maybe like maybe okay. every weekend in like maybe the later two weekends in March and the first two weekends in April. We'll do that. Okay, I, I like that. It, it's exclusive. You know, it's not it's not always there. That type of thing. Um, so it, it draws in a certain type of crowd. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, Speaking of wet t-shirts, Zach, I also want to mention uh, the the best joke in Bottoms is just a visual gag. There's a pep rally at a certain point of the high school, and the pep rally starts with the che- – they're like, the cheerleaders are coming out. Five cheerleaders come onto, like, the gym floor, and, like, the music kicks in, and they're all facing away from the audience. They all, like, turn around, you know, in, like, the outer two, the inner two, the one in the middle – Cuts to like this weird high angle shot where the four cheerleaders on the outside dump bottled water onto the cheerleader in the middle. And they're all wearing white, so it's like doing a wet t-shirt thing. And then they leave the floor. That's their entire performance. Really? (laughs) It is hilarious the way it's executed. (laughs) The cheerleaders just do a a wet t-shirt thing and they're done. (laughs) The so the other thing I wanted to add to the restaurant, a dunk tank. But I oh. think you can see where I'm going with this. There will be piranhas in the water in the dunk tank. <laughs> but who is in the dunk tank, though, outside of the piranhas? Well, that's that, that's what I wanted to pick your brain on because I just had the idea. So now we got to figure out how we're going to utilize it, you know? Like, who, like why would someone be on there? You know, uh, who would be sh- throwing the ball at the dunk tank? So, so what? I, I feel like the most common uses of dunk tanks are, you know, maybe this is one is from when I was younger. I saw it in, like, TVs and stuff. There's, like, a clown or something thing in the dunk tank and people pay and be like oh it's fun to dunk the clown but i'm i know there's also things like it's got to be like um some type of challenge with your friends or something like that like you can go to a carnival and it's like okay i'll get on i'll get on the seat you get three balls to throw and then we'll switch basically the same thing like can one of us dunk the other or something like that the piranhas of course add a level of danger uh to this that that i don't think happens at carnivals and and things of that nature but of course, even without knowing exactly how it would, be, it would be used, the other thing I wanted to mention is as soon as I thought about this and wrote it down in my notes, uh, Piranha Dunk Tank, it just screamed to me that this should be in the Sin e Modities kids portion of the restaurant. <laughs> what we'll use it for is for like bad staffing members. Like we'll sit there like, Ooh. okay, if you're not good, you get put into the dunk tank. Okay, okay. Like a... Oh, maybe maybe like a, a not a not the best employee of the month, the worst employee of the month yes. has to sit in the duck tank, and the customers get to make fun of them and can pay us to grab a baseball to throw at it or something like that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I also kind of like the idea of just a piranha dunk tank being <laughs> in the kids' portion of the restaurant, and the kids being like, "Look at the fish! Like I like fish, you know that type of thing." It's it's very RoboCop, like or yeah. no, not RoboCop. No, Starship Troopers, where like the kids are like squishing bugs, like in the PSAs. Oh, sure, sure. It's like you're doing your part. I, uh, RoboCop clicked with me with some of those fake ads and stuff like that too. I, I guess it's just listing both of those movies. That's a very yeah, Verhoeven idea, you know. I could see Paul Verhoeven being like, "And I want my next movie to be about kids and piranhas." <laughs> <laughs> Enough of the religion. <laughs> I got my lesbian nun movie out of the way. Uh, so I need to make a Piranha Dunk Tank movie. <laughs> so, all right. Well, then, Monstober has officially been kicked off. 
I know you, you gave a hint at what we're going to be doing in a little bit of time. Uh, do you want to give a hint at what will be coming out next week? Or do we even know? We're just going to record them all, and they're going to pop up, you know, like a scavenger yeah, hunt anytime. possibly. <laughs> Chances are it's a, uh, it's a Tom Cruise movie combined with a movie we've already discussed so far on the podcast. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Tom Cruise meets Griffin Dunn. Yes, yes. All right. Well, if you liked what you heard, uh, you can always head on over to patreon.com slash cinemodities. Get access to a whole bunch of other episodes. Uh, if you pay us even a little bit more, you can request episodes. You can force Ben into uh, talk Ben and I into talking about movies. There's very little things that we will say no to. And the only thing we've ever said no to is uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3. We just refuse to watch <laughs> that movie. Uh, even though I, I know I've heard some crazy things in the years since it's been requested, uh, we, just, we just do not want to do anything Beverly Hills Cop related ever again. If you that you you just performed the entire score to Beverly Hills Cop. Right there. <laughs> there is no other music in that movie. Uh, it is silent when that is not playing, which is fucking strange. If anybody out there is listening to this and has access to the ichthyology and herpetology journal Copeia C O P E I A, please. Please get a copy of this article and email it to us at cinemodities at gmail.com. I would love to read that in its entirety and do a follow-up with Zach because that that is a, a fantastic take on this movie. But that's where you have to contact us, cinemodities at gmail.com. Uh, Very we, specific we, call to action, We everybody. need this. I need this. <laughs> I think then, Zach, that leaves us with how are we going to end this episode – Oh, I know. Oh, oh, I will say is that for the soundtrack of this movie, it was a combination. It was like some sort of weird mix up um, or mashup that is between the Far East Movement song, which also played in That's My Boy, God's Greatest Gift to Humanity, <laughs> and the um, – oh, God. Oh, God. What's the – not Busta Rhymes. Oh, God. What's his name? Fla- uh, Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav. Okay. This? Public Enemy? Public Enemy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a nice mashup. Maybe we'll play that in reverse. Oh, okay. It's, the, okay. it's when Jake walks up to the boat that day, and we have the two, we have Jerry O'Connell forming, uh, filming the porn stars, like doing their thing. Maybe we'll play that in reverse. Was LMFAO around in 2010? Because it seems like they should have a song in this if, if they were around, no. you know? No. Because again, keep in mind, this was all like put together like in 2009. They didn't right. really blow That's up until right. what, okay. 2011? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. That would be the version Sorry. of... Sorry. Uh, or how about this? You know what, Rob? I'll take you at that. Maybe we'll play Sorry for Party Rocking in back, uh, in first. <laughs> That's fair. Now now I'm also going to be very uh, keenly keeping an ear open for any LMFAO songs in Piranha 3 Double D. <laughs> I will say that like my own contacts with them is that because, again, of course, they blew up in the summer of 2011 for a party rock anthem. Mm-hmm. And then that fall, they came to my college campus and they performed. Oh, okay. And, like, because the campus would charge money for this. I think they charged something like probably like $30 a ticket. Sure. And I didn't go because I'm like, it's it's like weird, like, pop, what, EDM music. I'm like, it's not going to sound good. Like, what's the point? You sure? Like, it, it, <laughs> like, like, it's an excuse to get drunk and get high. Like, if you want to do that, that's fine. Just don't spend $30 additionally to do it. And I remember everyone's like, oh, the guy with the afro was there, but the guy with the curly long hair was not there. And I'm like, oh? And then like three months later, I heard like they officially broke up as like, I don't even want to call it a band, but just like a joint act. Yeah. And I'm like, interesting. I'm like, clearly 
the SUNY Albany campus was like one of the first instances <laughs> in like September 2011 to like, like they clearly had dissolved as like a joint act. And I'm like, the more you know, I'm like one of the few instances where I regret doing something. Sure, sure. Or not uh, doing something. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, LMFAO is, is the the definition of a flash in the pan for sure oh yeah because <laughs> they had oh, yeah. they had one or two majorly popular songs they were everywhere key and peel does the sketch where they can't escape their own music video they're basically in the groundhog's day rave um and then <laughs> they just disappear <laughs> but yeah rob if you want to do an lfao song by all means okay, it's so, uh it's, it's all the same thing at that right point. exactly it's basically we should we could just play spring break in reverse at the end of this episode <laughs> that's what it sounds like <laughs> Or how about this? How about this? Take the audio of the douchebag boyfriend character running over people in the speedboat. Get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can play that in reverse. It would be the same. It's all going to blend together it quite all, well. It all blends together. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, like like we said, Monstober's kicked off, and I uh, I, uh, I can't wait to get to some of the other high points, but uh, we're going to equally have some low points as well because that's the cinematity's way, you know, and uh, Tom Cruise meets Griffin Dunn. Uh, it's going to be a first-time viewing for me, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Yeah, okay.